I tell people physical therapy or rehab is more of an art than a science mm -hmm. because yeah, you have what the book says, you know, you have like the typical process of things, but that's not how humans are, yeah. right? Like humans are unique. Everybody's got different stuff going on in their life and we have to modify and adapt what we do with people based on all of those factors, right? Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where we bring you inside the minds of elite athletes, business owners, and other guests. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these conversations, you'll hear practical advice and effective strategies for building a more resilient mind. If you enjoy listening, be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? So today we have on Dr. Andrew Fix. He's a licensed physical therapist and running specialist working at a physio room located just south of Denver. What's going on, man? what's up rock hey guys thanks for having me on the show appreciate being here yeah so i i feel like this is like perfect timing because i just finished up uh my first ultra marathon saturday the first 50 mile race and a lot of my nerves going into that and really this entire year has been centered around rehabbing my own it band syndrome and my own injuries with running so i feel like mm. this will be a great kind of cycle into you know my experience but also the actual you know in practice what you do and in your work with runners. So I want to dive right into the good stuff with what are the most common running injuries that you're seeing these days? You know, I had a feeling you would ask that and yeah, congrats on the, on the race that you just did. I saw some of that on, you know, it, social it media. It took everything I had, but thank you. <laughs> those, those events, you know, I'm not, um, not one who has done one of those, but man, I know people who have uh, done ultras and the 50, the 100 mile or more variety, and uh -huh. <laughs> um, it is pretty impressive. But uh, to answer your question, so, and I actually do a little bit of assistant teaching with a continuing education company on this very topic, like rehab for the injured runner. So what we tend to teach in that course and what I tell clients, what the research says is the top six running related injuries, um, anterior knee pain right? Like patellofemoral type mm -hmm. of pain. IT band syndrome is the second one. Uh, what we call medial tibial stress syndrome, basically shin splints is a really common one. Achilles tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, yep. and stress fractures, right? And then this one isn't really in like in the literature, but I like to also talk to people about low back pain because low back pain from my experience is very common in runners. Even if it's not from from the running, if someone has low back pain, particularly if they have any kind of symptoms that linger down one of their legs, it mm -hmm. just makes it that much more likely that you'll sustain one of those other running-related injuries that I talked about. So I think it's really prevalent. Yeah, the body is such a kinetic chain. And, you know, with some sports or exercises or types of training, for example, like bodybuilding or even powerlifting, mm -hmm. you can kind of get away with certain stuff. Uh, if you have a tight glute, uh, issues with a hip, you can almost work around it, do leg extensions, you can do different exercises that are more isolated. But when you, you run, maybe you swim, you cycle, and your body has to work in this full kinetic chain where you're, mm -hmm. you know, you have motion in the ankle, the hip, the knee, and involving like the lower back, like you said, some of these uh, issues really <laughs> start to become obvious and present themselves and things you didn't realize, you know, like a lower back would have an issue. But then you think about how the lower back ties into the glute, ties into the hamstring, it all makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. So I guess what are your like first instincts as far as someone coming in with some of those injuries? Is it, you know, do, do most of these people not have any strength training base or mm -hmm. are there certain exercises they're kind of or steps they're missing that's leading to these issues? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And I think, you know, I think the answer is so individual dependent. Of course. You know, no matter who comes in our office, right? And and I will say that my experience now working in our office at Physio Room is a little bit different than in some of the other places that I've worked uh, because the time and the space that we have allows us to really get curious and kind of like be a detective to try to really help figure out what's going on with that person. Mm-hmm. But someone comes in the office, right? And what we do is, you know, maybe they come in with knee pain. That's the most common thing that mm-hmm. runners deal with. You just mentioned that. And then we do an assessment, you know, from top to bottom. We don't just like zero in on their knee because yeah. what we know is particularly in a situation like that, IT band syndrome or patellofemoral, the issue is not usually at the knee. The pain is at the knee and the mm-hmm. symptoms are at the knee. But it's a, like a non-contact kind of, you know, not traumatic incident type of thing. It's it's developed over time, probably gets worse almost always the actual real root issue is coming from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So we need to do a full assessment to figure out like what's going on. Where do you move well? Where do you not move well? Where are you strong? Where are you not strong enough? And then those are the things that we're going to address. A lot of times with runners, we end up finding that the issues are very spine, hip, and ankle driven if it's like a movement issue. Mm. But to the other part of your question, yeah, I tend to find a lot of times that man, runners are way under strength trained, mm-hmm. under muscled for the demands that they're trying to put themselves through. And I was actually just having a conversation in the clinic with a runner the other day who's dealing with an Achilles issue. And I was asking him those questions about like, well, what do you do other than run? Yeah. You know, what's your strength training like? What's your, what's your exercise life like besides running? And the answer was basically nothing. Okay, so then there's another conversation with another client, very similar issue. They're both dealing with an Achilles issue, same age, all this. And he says he does lift two to three times a week, but what he does is primarily upper body things because mm-hmm. <laughs> he figures my legs are taken care of because of the running. The running I don't yeah. I don't need to lift my legs as, uh, you know, as consistently. And I pretty much told him that's all backwards, right? We have this all backwards. I, I get where your head's at. I can understand why someone would come to that conclusion. But let's flip that around. Because if you strength train and you build up the tolerance of you know stress and of impact and whatnot to your legs, you're going to be able to tolerate the demands of running more easily. Mm-hmm. And then you'll be able to run more or run better. And then you're going to become a better runner. Yeah, there's a couple things I want to pick out there. Um, the first is, you know, you nailed it. There are so many people, whether it is, you know, with me coming from a big lifting background and seeing people um, in my gym was there's so many people that are very isolated in their attack with how they train, you know, just because you're, let's say a bodybuilder powerlifter doesn't mean the only cardio you, sh- you should ever do is, you know, a walk or elliptical just to burn calories. You know, there's still a lot of benefit you can get from having a strong functioning cardiovascular system and having that kind of universal, Uh, ability and obviously like you tied in with running too there's so much benefit from strength training like a lot of the reason i think why i've never dealt with shin splints with stress fractures and things like that is because i've had such a long strong base of strength training so again that bone density is is built up there but one thing i really want to touch on because i'd written this down to ask you was about how you mentioned you don't kind of just look at obviously the site of the pain but you're really going to go through everything that the person's dealing with and kind of look what it sounds like beyond just what's on paper, just what's what the literature saying. Because 
what I dealt with with my IT band was a lot of confusion. You know, if you Google it online, it's a really, really common injury. But to me, the solution to it is not very obvious. And it's different for everyone, which makes sense. But what I found was a lot of what most doctors will tell you, a lot of what most physical therapists and, and running coaches will tell you is that it's a, uh, a friction issue, right? They're mm -hmm. saying, oh, the, 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 you know, the tendon is rubbing on that outside of your knee. It's causing some friction. That's where the pain is. But what I found to make a lot more sense, um, both with how when I experience the pain and how I don't feel it during strength training, and then also with uh, some more recent studies I've found is that it's more so a compression issue. And so, you know, obviously what's happening there is, again, just that displacement of the knee. Maybe it's drifting inward, I felt like was in my case, due to weakness of the glute. That drifting inward puts more stretch, more pressure on the IT band, therefore being a compression issue. Long story short, what I'm getting at is sometimes the answer a isn't that obvious and b sometimes you know doctors or physical therapists might be uh you know prescribing or trying to come up with a solution that's a little antiquated mm -hmm. and isn't actually you know solving the true issue when it is so tough with soft tissue injury so what do you think about again have you had like experiences like that to where you've kind of had to be creative with your solution and work uh beyond let's say what's what's the literature saying yeah, I, I think this kind of reminds me of a lot of times when people ask me, you know, about my profession and career, how, like I tell people physical therapy or rehab is more of an art than a science mm -hmm. because yeah, you have what the book says, you know, you have like the typical process of things, but that's not how humans are, yeah. right? Like humans are unique. Everybody's got different stuff going on in their life. And we have to modify and adapt what we do with people based on all of those factors, right? So it, it's really more of an art. Like you could go to 10 different physical therapists and you can get 10 different little prescriptions for mm -hmm. how to deal with your issue. Now, I think what you just said, like Dr. Google can tell you anything that you want to know, right? Mm -hmm. You can find a yes or a no to literally anything if you search it on the internet. Um, most people, I think, still talk about IT band syndrome as a... IT band friction issue. Mm -hmm. However, like you just said, I think some of the newer data, newer research, it, in my opinion, really is more of a compression issue yeah. than a friction issue because right down there by the outside of the knee, like near that distal or lowest portion of that IT band, we have a fat pad there. Mm -hmm. And just like we have on our heel or other parts in our body, like fat pads are there for cushion for the bone. And fat pads are very highly innervated. There are a lot of nerves that go to them because they're meant for cushion. And, you know, if you slam your heel into the ground, it's going to hurt. Well, if your IT band is compressing that fat pad, that's going to get aggravating after a while. Now, the two main reasons, though, that it gets compressed or like that that happens, particularly while we're running, and I'll try to use my hands to kind of explain this, is the two things in a running gait that are likely to lead to an IT band issue are what we call hip adduction or femoral internal rotation, mm. right? So let's let's tackle the femur portion first. If your thigh is internally rotating when your foot hits the ground when you're running, it's kind of like a caving in kind of motion, right? Mm -hmm. Or 
if relative to your pelvis, if your leg is either landing inward mm -hmm. or your hip is dropping, it's going to mm -hmm. change that angle between your pelvis and your femur. And that's what we call adduction or adduction. You know, you could think of if you're sitting, you're just like crossing your legs. Yep. Those are the two biggest kind of risk factors that cause IT band issues while we're running. Usually the solution to get rid of that is you have to address that, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of times what I hear people say when, when someone comes into our office and they have been, I don't know, they've bounced around. They're like, oh, I've tried this. I've tried this. I went to my physician. I saw a massage therapist, whatever the story is. A lot of times what I hear is that people are trying to like stretch or yeah. mobilize their way out, out of an, yeah, they're trying to roll their IT band. They're trying yeah. to roll their quad, their hip, whatever. They're trying to stretch their way out of an IT band issue. And it's almost never a tissue length problem. It's a stability problem. Mm -hmm. It's a motor control strength and stability issue. So, you know, I almost never have anyone mobilize foam roll their IT band. If they want to, I tell them, go ahead. But you know, you're not, it's not a length issue. The IT band doesn't lengthen out, right? It's mm -hmm. too strong of a tissue. The issue is almost always in running gait or stability up at the hip. And what I tend to find is when we address that, symptoms tend to improve. So. Yeah, yeah. And that's, you know, unfortunately, it took me, I feel like, a while to, to find that solution. But once I did, once I did realize, okay, it is an issue to where, especially, I think on the trails and going downhill, mm -hmm. having that stability to, you know, not only land, but making sure I was basically landing and again, having that, like you said, that, you know, adduction basically of the knee was yeah. drifting inward and it doesn't take much. It's just, you no. know, a half inch, an inch. And again, with so many steps of running, <laughs> you know, you're bound to create inflammation and an issue there. So what I did for, for months was it was kind of twofold. It was like one, I tried to focus on my gait a little bit, but it's of mm -hmm. course hard to consciously affect your gait and you don't want to create another issue doing that. Right. But I was focusing a little bit on, okay, making sure I'm, you know, uh, I've seen somewhere someone wrote this, uh, imagine there's an imaginary line right in between your hips or straight ahead. You're trying to not cross that line with each leg. Yeah. So again, making sure mainly my right leg was not crossing inward. And the other big thing was to help the subconscious uh, effort while I was running was to strengthen the glute medius as much as I could. So a ton yeah. of side planks, line side raises, clamshells, uh, you know, Bulgarian split squats was really focusing on my knee uh, following the toe line forward. All these things are just, you know, hammering them. And uh, yeah, it, it's definitely a tricky one because again, like running is something that it's so repetitious. You're not just doing six or 10 reps, you right. know, where you can really focus on your form. You can focus on your form, but if you're running for an hour, two hours, three hours, it's really hard to do that. So you do have to, again, like you mentioned, really build up that motor control and treat that nervous system to where it's acting properly and you don't have to consciously, you know, take those steps, right? Totally, totally. And, you know, I think what you, what you said, I didn't ask you this, but you basically said it was worse when you're running downhill. And that is very classic of IT band issues. And I think mm -hmm. that being very classic of IT band issues is like a huge, I don't know about like red flag, but it's like, you know, alerts going off that it's a stability issue because mm -hmm. when you're running downhill, it accentuates the, the impact forces and the ground reaction force. Like there's more pressure of on course, your body yeah. when you're running downhill compared to on a flat ground or uphill. And that's when it's more likely to bother you. 
all of those exercises that you listed off are great. And I love that you talked about, you know, kind of going from some open chain exercises to closed chain exercises. That's another thing in when runners strength train, um, which if we, if we get into this, I, I could chat about this all day, mm-hmm. but I often find that, you know, runners are doing like small open chain exercises that don't really ever get loaded. And like, they're so easy. They're like, yeah, I do 50 clamshells, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean that your hip's not going to drop when you're running. Yeah. Because one of the thing about like training the gait, like you said, it's, it's a little complicated to train your gait. And a lot of times you need somebody else to kind of like help you pick these things out. It's hard to do it on yourself. I even had to like film myself to do a running gait analysis for my running mm-hmm. to really see some of the things that I, I didn't, I wasn't feeling right. I wasn't feeling some of these issues that I had in my own running gait, but strength training alone doesn't always correct running gait issues. hundred percent. You yeah. have to do gait retraining um, because you know, your hip might be strong, but if your body is in this habit of crossing over, like mm-hmm. you said, you're crossing your foot over the midline, you're still going to probably wind up with an issue. And there's going to be a sense of uh, specificity, right? So mm-hmm. like you mentioned, I can do clamshells, line leg raises all day, strengthen the glute medius. But where I tried to kind of meet in the middle is a, you know, some of those strides to where I do a Bulgarian split squat and then drive the other knee up. So again, simulating mm-hmm. a little bit of that stride and yeah. then actually taking that and putting it into practice out on the trail. So when I do do short sections of either slight declines or actual downhills, I can really focus on knee drifting towards over the toe, not inward. I could focus on really engaging my glute and not just putting all the pressure on my quad going downhill. And, you know, again, practicing that form. So over time, it becomes muscle memory and I don't have to, you know, think about it as continuously. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like you were totally on the right track. And I think that's that's that kind of transition where, you know, like the rubber meets the road of it has to be specific in order to help you actually do it during your activity. Right. Like, like you just said, you were trying to simulate running things. Training your running gait can be very mentally fatiguing, right? Yeah. Like it, it <laughs> often takes a lot of conscious awareness of what you're doing, trying to get that glute to engage at the right point in your, in your run or in your stride. I mean, and what I usually tell people is like, I would not tell you rock to go out on a two mile trail run and like try to think about your running gait the mm-hmm. whole time. You'll be so exhausted after that. And, and I've had a couple clients do that where like what I tend to recommend to them is if you're going to try to really tune into your running gait and you know, you're trying to retrain it while you're on a run, use your watch or some, some sort of a, you know, trigger for time. Like every time your watch goes off and tells you you've hit the next mile, you know, for the next like minute, tune into your running gait and try to like pay attention to it, but don't do that the whole time. It's because, funny. I'm, I'm oh, laughing gosh. because my wife, you know, she told me about, uh, you know, cause I, I have like 10 weeks. I was preparing for this ultra and I had just like slightly, you know, whether it's subconsciously or I actually did bother it. I, I had a moment where I was nervous. I bothered my T band again. And, uh, you know, so I, I'm going through these 10 weeks and some days, you know, I feel more confident. Other days I'm like just thinking myself into an issue, you know, where I'm thinking to myself like, oh, how did my leg feel that day? Right. Because I'm thinking about it, like you said, during the entire run. And, you know, she's laughing at me and she's like, well, just 
just don't think about it because you're like, you know, being psychosomatic at this point, creating it. I'm like, you don't understand. I think about it every step of the run, you know, so I'm going through. Uh, but like you said, A, you, you can't really do it the whole two hours. So a lot of times I try and distract myself with music or podcasts. But otherwise, you know, especially when you've had a chronic issue, you're so nervous about it. It's hard to not every step just think about it. But yeah. uh, carrying this into a, another direction, you know, a lot of recovering from this ITBN issue and overcoming it and overcoming past issues too, especially even with uh, my lifting history, is knowing when to actually take time off and when you've actually really injured something, but also knowing when to work around an issue or train through it because mm -hmm. I'm sure you have you know a good perspective and opinion on this, but I found that, again, a lot of injuries recover best when you can still bring blood flow to the area, still work and, and improve the range of motion um, and slowly work it back to the full strength or full range of motion rather than completely taking time off and letting things deteriorate. Yeah, and you know, I think I tend to take that approach with almost everybody. So all of those, you know, running injuries that we listed off before, the knee pain, the shin splint, stress fractures and whatnot. The only one where if we suspect that this is the actual issue that we need people to take time off for sure is if we think there's a stress fracture, mm -hmm. right? If I suspect someone has a stress fracture, when I see them in the office, they haven't had any imaging done. Those are the unique scenarios where I say, I need you to not run. This is why we need to get this MRI scheduled to rule out a stress fracture. However, that's the smaller percentage of people. Mm -hmm. Most people are dealing with an overuse style injury that's not a stress fracture. And as much as possible, we don't want them to stop running, right? And there's multiple reasons for that. One, hopefully they enjoy it. That's why they're maybe running in the first place. I don't want them to stop doing something that they enjoy. There's a huge social impact to that yeah. they maybe they run with other people you know maybe it's what they structure their life around right a lot of runners just they just want to run mm -hmm. so you know you you have that like old kind of story of you go to the doctor and you say oh it hurts when i do this and then the doctor says well just don't do that don't and do then that, yeah. it'll stop hurting <laughs> that's not the answer right so i tend to use i don't love pain scales but people can relate to them so i tend to use kind of the uh, descriptor of while you're running if your pain is less than a four out of 10 and it's just kind of there and it's, you know, four or lower and it's just kind of annoying you, but you can feel it, but you can still run through it. I want you to keep training while we work to address it. But if your, you know, symptoms are higher than that, it's five, six out of 10 and, you know, your pain is actually really now causing you to have gait deviations, you're limping, your stride is getting affected. That's when we need to start, you know, toying with the idea of let's bring your volume down, let's bring your intensity down, let's kind of modify this so that you're not making something else hurt or making your symptoms worse. Mm -hmm. But if we can keep those symptoms, you know, just kind of there and at bay, we mm -hmm. want people to keep trying to train while we do the things to try to address their symptoms mm -hmm. so that we don't have to hold them out because then we don't have to get into these conversations of, okay, well, you didn't run for three, four weeks. Now, how do we structure your volume and building you back into your training? Cause you can't just like pick it back up. Yeah. Cause that could just create another injury when you jump back into it way too hard, too fast. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and you know, I still see that a lot of times where whether they were told by some other type of provider or they just did this on their own, a lot of runners tend to use just like rest as their strategy for mm -hmm. helping an injury recover. I'm just going to take some downtime. 
I'm going to not run. I'm going to get on the elliptical or whatever Mm -hmm. and wait for the symptoms to go away and just think that the problem is solved. And unfortunately, that's that's not always going to work. You know, it may have worked for people in some situations where then they felt good for a while. But in a lot of cases, those symptoms come back because you never actually address the root of the issue. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's probably going to come back when you build up your running to a certain amount. You're you're likely to see that return. Yeah, a lot of that's just hiding from the the actual root of the cause, like you said. So, you know, tying into, again, the whole kind of rest idea, uh, I know you did a podcast on this. I'd love to let you expand on it. But the whole rice method, right, has been around Mm -hmm. for so long about rest, ice, compression, elevation. All these things that basically uh, prevent or at least slow down blood flow going to the area and restrict that blood flow. Uh, I've obviously been or at least over over time basically i've noticed that there's been some obvious flaws in this you know especially the idea of ice and an injury sounds a little bit crazy when you think about blood flow is bringing a lot of the the nutrients that are going to promote recovery uh, and things like that so what is your kind of protocol for approaching injuries acutely you know as soon as they happen or in the short term and then also over long term like what are you prescribing or recommending to people yeah, yeah, and that that was a fun podcast episode to do on why why I don't think you should rice things because mm-hmm. you know that's a conversation that I have in the office with clients all the time, and I I feel like I'm a little like sheltered from reality because in <laughs> our office we have a bunch of people that are like kind of all on the same page, all on like a little more up to date on mm-hmm. what the new way to do things is. Um, especially in one of our clinics that's inside of a gym because like all the trainers there at the gym are really high quality. They're all up on new stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of us agree on this, but that's not what society is at, yeah. at large, right? Yeah. So, you know, I talk to people and I'm like, well, what have you been doing? They're like, well, I've been icing it three times a day. And I'm like, you're icing your, you know, your sore Achilles. I'm like, it already struggles <laughs> to get plenty of blood flow. You need to get as much blood flow to that thing as you can to try to help it heal. So I have not, you know, in the, in the way that we're talking about, putting an ice pack or something on a body part, I have not done that in years. But I used to do that all the time, right? Mm-hmm. When I was in college football and track, I was icing my shin splints and all this stuff. But that was, you know, 10 plus years ago. Mm-hmm. I probably haven't iced anything in at least five years, if not more. My strategy now is, like you said, how do we protect the area so that it doesn't get injured further, while still using it to the extent that we can that doesn't aggravate it too much so we want to still use it because that's going to promote blood flow the movement is going to provoke promote some flushing of if there is any swelling or edema there that's going to help some of that clear out because Mm -hmm. we need that blood flow through our circulatory and our lymphatic system to flush some of that you know fluid out of there i like to use things like compressive in nature, um, you know, maybe you or some of your listeners are familiar with something called like voodoo floss. Mm-hmm. We use that a lot to compress an area, still get it to move so that we can kind of flush things out. I've seen some great effects with that, say after like an ankle sprain, for example. And then, you know, really it's how do we then strengthen or train the things that we need to in order to like build back up the strength and the tolerance of that area so that you can keep using it, right? So, there might be some periods of you know rest that are appropriate, mm-hmm. but I really look at that more as like active rest, right? Like yeah. how do we still get you to do what you can, even if that's working other body parts, and not just you know 
stick your foot up on a chair and ice ice something yeah, that even hurts. even like walking you know especially if it's a foot injury just like walking you know slow pace can help again promote the blood flow and wash things totally. out and it's you know it's funny when you were describing you know you ask so many people oh, what have you been doing i've been icing it I, it's just some things are so ingrained in public mm-hmm. thought and public opinion that you know i'm sure it's this way with your parents as well like i asked my parents like anytime something's hurt they just ice it to hell, you know, <laughs> they're yeah. just going to ice it until they can't like feel it. And, uh, yeah, it's the same thing with diet, same thing with training, right? People think deadlifts are bad for your back, you know, mm-hmm. from a lot of public opinion. Um, uh, they think fats, like as far as like a dietary need are bad for you. You know, they ignore healthy fats. They ignore that a lot of times sugar is the cause, things like that. But over time, you know, these truths take precedent, uh, but it takes time, you know, and I think yeah. we're in that transition period. So besides, you know, ice, and you mentioned a few of the modalities that you'll do to help um, prevent or aid with an injury. As far as, you know, general recovery, you don't have an injury, and maybe you can mention some things for people who are dealing with maybe a nagging injury. Mm-hmm. What are some modalities that you do recommend people kind of either invest in or, uh, rec- or modalities that you use yourself to kind of help keep your body in check, keep everything running smoothly? Yeah, yeah, great question. And you know, I think, I think first and foremost, it's continue to move, right? We, you know, we're both sitting down recording this podcast, you know, most of us have relatively sedentary lives outside of our, whatever we're doing for fitness or exercise, mm-hmm. right? Unless you're working some really physically demanding job, but that's not most jobs, right? Most jobs are pretty inactive. So first and foremost, it's like, how do we just move our bodies and particularly like expose ourselves to positions that we don't get into that often throughout the day so that we can not have as significant of like movement limitations. And that's just going to help us so much, right? It's like even hard to put a number on like how effective that can be. I think it would be foolish of me not to mention how important sleep is to yeah. to that recovery piece that you mentioned. One. Yeah. Um, you know, I recorded a podcast a while back on kind of like sports recovery and you know, we sort of talked about things like ice baths or cold plunges and saunas and whatnot. But you cannot sports recovery your way out of having terrible sleep yeah. and you know, not getting enough rest. So that's probably at the top of the list is, you know, if you're feeling run down, your body's constantly aching pain and whatnot. You're not going to like just foam roll your way out of that, right? Yeah. If you're getting four hours of sleep a night. So I tell people like, let's prioritize your sleep and what you're putting in your body, how you're hydrating, how you're eating, because that's how your body's going to repair. But as far as the things that, you know, most of us think about, I think it's good practice to have some sort of body maintenance routine, whether that is like foam rolling or mobilizing, as I like to say, the areas that you worked on that particular day. Um, or the areas that you know just kind of chronically nag you. Mm -hmm. I do think it's appropriate to have some sort of a stretching routine. Mm -hmm. However, like I mentioned before, you can't just stretch your way out of things. A lot of times tissues are tight, and I don't love the word tight, but it's kind of like a slang term. Yeah. Um, I call that hypertonic, right? They have high tone. The muscle is kind of tense. Sometimes they're that way because of lack of stability. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think hip flexors and hamstrings are a great example. Right. A lot of times people feel tight hamstrings and they stretch them all the time. But that tightness doesn't like just go away. They still have tight hamstrings. Usually the root of that tightness is something else. Lack of stability elsewhere, often in the low back. So kind of bringing that back to like the icing thing we were talking about before when people are 
you know, kind of saying, yeah, I've been icing it to try and educate people on, you know, just kind of looking inward on like, well, what's working and what's not. I like to just ask people, okay, you told me you have tight hamstrings. You said you've been stretching them. How long have you been doing that for? And they're like, I've been doing this for months. I'm like, well, how's that working for you? Like, is <laughs> yeah. that working? Is icing your whatever body part, like, is it still hurting? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be sitting here in our office, right? So just trying to get them to, like, reflect a little bit on, like, huh, maybe I should try something different. Mm -hmm. And then that kind of opens their mind to, like, how about we try something else that you aren't doing? And, you know, would you be up for that? Like, let's, what do we have got to lose here? So I think having some sort of tissue mobility routine really prioritizing the sleep and and the you know what you're putting in your body i mean if you're eating a bunch of crap your body's mm -hmm. probably not going to feel as good as if you're eating healthy fats you're getting your protein you're getting your high quality carbs and not this ultra processed yeah. stuff that is on most of the shelves in the store and then i think is when you know if you've got that all in place you've got your some sort of a strength or fitness um, routine exercise routine to complement your running that's when we can start sprinkling in things like Hey, I'm going to do red light therapy. I'm going to do cold ice baths. I'm going to do saunas and whatnot. But that's that's kind of like the peak of the uh, yeah. pyramid of like importance, right? That's the top. That's where you get those last little bits and percentage. That's not where you get the bulk of the of the benefit. Yeah, sleep is so overlooked. I think it's easy because, you know, we're asleep during our sleep. So it's, you know, it's something that we do a third of our day, but we don't fully experience it you know besides you know the few moments before we go to bed or the times we don't want to get out of the covers uh but it is such a i mean it's the most crucial point right it's the point where your body can like recoup recover uh release its hormones regulate find mm -hmm. homeostasis do all the things it needs to do uh and you know it's crazy how many people you know i i know my dad you know, goes to bed at like 9 or 10 p.m., gets up at like 3 a.m., 4 a.m., awful sleep. Yeah. I know so many people that, you know, I ask them, you know, they're they're like wrecked in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, how, how, how much sleep do you get? Well, like five or six hours. I'm like, no wonder. Like if yeah. I get I, – I've always made this a priority, I think, since high school when I started lifting because I knew, okay, if I want to actually grow from these workouts I'm doing and get, you know, bigger muscles, I need to sleep. So I knew, luckily, from a young age. But – you know, I'd see so many people that, yeah, are up till 2 a.m. They get up for school at 7, whatever it was. And I'm like, no yeah. wonder you feel like shit because your every day is, you know, four hours of sleep, five hours of sleep. For sure. And just like nutrition, you know, you, you, let's say you eat really uh, healthily, you know, you're consistent with it. When you eat a bag of chips, you feel off. You're like, this is weird. Well, it's the same way with sleep. If you consistently get this seven, eight hours of sleep and then one day you have four or five hours, you notice immediately something's not working right so it just it just kind of shows as evidence of the importance of you know like you mentioned nutrition and sleep totally so totally with uh, and there's yeah go ahead i want to share this one little yeah. quote i'm a big fan of um you know the book why we sleep by matthew walker yeah. mm -hmm. i know a lot of people have read that but i think one of the quotes he says is sleep is basically like the greatest performance enhancing drug that no one <laughs> yeah. is using right like if you would just give your body what it needs and how it evolved and whatnot, like you would perform at such a higher level. And we try to do all these things. We take supplements, we mm -hmm. do this and that to try to compensate for how we feel. If you just got a couple extra hours of sleep, and if you're free. not already getting that, <laughs> oh, it's free. I mean, it's, it's hard to do, right? There's obstacles yeah. and this is why sure. people don't have it. But um, yeah, it's funny. He says, it's like, this is a performance enhancer that nobody's using. <laughs> 
Yeah, so to bring it on back to the strength training too, uh, to give people a few things they can grab out, especially mm-hmm. if they aren't already doing strength training. Besides, you know, a great deadlift or squat variation, what are three exercises, if you can think of three to put you on the spot, that you think every runner should have in their strength training program? Yeah, that is a great question. And usually, just in general, when people ask me, like, what are your top exercises? And it's always what you said. It's like, in no particular order, I usually say deadlifts, squats, and some form of a unilateral carry, right? Like a suitcase carry. Um, so that was the first thing that came to mind when you said, you know, top three kind of strength training exercises. I love heavy carries Mm -hmm. because, you know, in a non-impact way relative to running, right? Like walking is very minimal impact relative to running. It's a way to like increase the challenge by weighting your body more, being heavier to try to increase some of the demand, just like you would ask it to do your body to do while you're running. So I love doing carries the trunk stability along with the hip stability mm-hmm. and the yep. anti, yeah okay that's the main reason i think why we have people do it is it's a very center of mass kind of focused activity mm-hmm. and you know when you're running that's what you want to control you want to control that center of mass and so i love suitcase carries um you know i would say one of the things in general in strength training that i i want to help people do is not just train in this forward and back kind of sagittal plane Mm -hmm. all the time. So I would throw in, you know, some form of like a Cossack squat or some form Mm -hmm. of like a lateral lunge of sorts, because we really need to train in those other planes. Running is very straight ahead, cycling, swimming, all this stuff. And we really need to train those other planes. So if we're taking out squats and deadlifts, I would say do some form of a Cossack squat or like a lateral lunge. Mm -hmm. Do your suitcase carry like a heavy, you know, unilateral if I had to pick one rather than bilaterally loaded. And then I would say some form of like a anti-rotation exercise, you know, something as simple of like a pal-off press mm-hmm. or, you know, something where your body is fighting being rotated because that's going to complement your running. Like we talked about having that femur internal rotation while you land that could result in some IT band issues. If we can control that rotation mm-hmm. and not have an excessive amount of it, I think it's going to serve serve a runner in the long term. Yeah, and I'll throw one extra one in there. I can't think of the name, but maybe you can think of it because I saw it on your Instagram as well, and it's a big part of my warm-up, is basically uh, mini band right above the knee, slight mm-hmm. bend and balancing on one leg, and you're basically doing abductions with the other leg. Yeah, know? sure. You yeah, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a standing fire hydrant exercise. Yeah, that's exactly. I was mm-hmm. like fire hydrant, but it's standing. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, standing fan. fire hydrant. But I think it's great because okay, you you're obviously moving and feeling, let's say your right side, but the leg that's stabilizing is working like just as hard, if not harder, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's great again, especially with IT band, but just overall hip and knee stability because you are fighting you know, from that caving in while you're, you're training the other leg. Yeah. I actually kind of look at that as like, yeah, the leg that's moving is doing some work, but like I, and probably every other, mm-hmm. you know, physical therapist, like we view that exercise for the stance leg, yeah, right? Like too, yeah. that's more important to me than what's happening on the moving leg is I want to see that stance leg be super stable. I want you to feel that glute working because that's the position you need it to engage and fire in when you're running. Yeah. So to wrap this up, what got you into physical therapy and especially, you know, with a focus towards endurance sports? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. Um, 
you know, so what got me into physical therapy in general, um, kind of giving you my backstory, you know, I'm, I'm from Wisconsin. I'm a huge football fan, played football most of my life growing up and, and other sports, but football was kind of like my main one. Mm-hmm. And when I was in what, eighth grade, um, in a non-contact fashion, I sustained a hip injury and had an avulsion fracture in my hip. So that, that took me out of uh, sport for a little while. I think I was on crutches for you know a month or something. Mm-hmm. And that was my first experience in physical therapy. I went to physical therapy as a client when I was in eighth grade. And you know, just like so many people, I probably didn't do my exercises that they told me to do. <laughs> a little lazy. And, yeah. Yeah. I was like, well, I just want to run around and play. I'm in eighth grade. Yeah. So, okay. So that was my first kind of like eye-opening experience to physical therapy. And then if we fast forward to, you know, high school, right at the age, you know, junior year or something, when I was trying to decide like what I wanted to do for my career, where do I, do I want to go to college? What's that's going to look like? Um, my dad was rehabbing from a rotator cuff surgery. And I think it was actually his second one. So he's had it on both shoulders. So I usually tell people like that was kind of the decision making time. My dad was going through rehab. I had the opportunity to now a little older shadow his physical therapist um, not during one of his sessions, but like on a separate day. Mm-hmm. And I saw him always in our house, like doing his prescribed home exercise program. So I was like, okay, I, th- I think I could do this as a career. And then boom, fast forward to senior season of wrestling in high school. Um, I had a knee injury, right? Kind of like a freak thing happened in practice. I sprained my MCL and I missed like a month of my senior, the first month of the season of mm-hmm. senior season of wrestling. And that kind of like hit me a little harder than that like eighth grade missing time. Like yeah. it was it was more like painful for me mentally to miss like sure. half of my senior year of wrestling. And I was like, man, if I feel this way, I'm sure a lot of other people really hate missing whatever <laughs> their thing is that they like to do. So I decided I'm going to go to physical therapy school and I made my college decisions based on that, right? Like based on what mm-hmm. was going to help me go to the, to the graduate school, to PT school. So then I spent time, I did an orthopedic residency program after I graduated. I moved a couple times with the practice um, called PT Solutions that I was with initially out of school. And then through my sister-in-law, who is a marathoner, she um, moved out here to Colorado from Illinois. Mm-hmm. She got connected to Physio Room and uh, our owner, Chris. And you know, through that kind of connection is ultimately how I wound up here. My wife and I wanted to move out to Colorado we were at the time living in Kansas City. So I get communicating with Chris and moved out here. And it was kind of through her running team and Chris's already connection to uh, a cycling team that we kind of had this like focus on endurance athletes. And then I'll also say we had, you know, we were talking off air about our CrossFit connection through our mm-hmm. practice. So it was kind of like endurance athletes and CrossFit athletes were like the bulk of a lot of our clients. Chris also likes the golf. So then Anytime we add somebody to our team, we try to expose our practice to a different niche. So like if we're going to add another physical therapist, we want them to be kind of like in authority in a particular sport or activity. So, you know, when I started, because of the connection to her running team, I was basically like the running guy. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean like, you know, ultra marathon distance or 5Ks or whatever, but just like I'm kind of the running guy on our team. Someone else is the cycling guy. Someone else is the CrossFit gal or guy. And, um, you know, that's that's kind of how that journey happened, basically. Yeah, you must have had a good uh, PT to shadow and a good experience with PT because I, uh, like you, I didn't have any injuries growing up through high school, but I was very into, you know, athletics and exercise. 
And I was thinking, I was like, how can I, you know, keep doing this right? If I'm not going to be a professional athlete, how can I still do something in this field, uh, you know, as an adult? And so I was thinking about physical therapy and, uh, you know, I started to shadow a few people in like senior year. And I also did this uh, over the summer program um, at a university in Virginia. And I started to quickly realize that at least in a more kind of clinical setting, a lot of physical therapy is, you know, old people coming in, neck pain, mm-hmm. back pain, here's some acupuncture, here's a cold pack, here's a few exercises, see you later. And it's very slow, it's yeah. very boring, but I imagine you might have had uh, more experience at a practice that was more sports rehab applied. Um, and obviously, that's a lot of what you do now, and it seems to be a, a much more enjoyable, much more fulfilling and exciting kind of environment uh, and practice to be at. Yeah, and I'm trying to think back to, you know, when I was in eighth grade or high school and I had those kind of shadowing experiences, and I don't necessarily know if, if those were that, but I think because I was that person, you know, yeah. I was the youth athlete trying mm-hmm. to get back to stuff, um, it kind of turned into that. But I do remember um, one in particular, one of my clinical rotations when I was already in physical therapy school, like halfway through, and it was a very like truly like outpatient orthopedic sports mm-hmm. medicine kind of place. We were very tight. This was like in the um, Minneapolis area. We we're very tied into the orthopedic physicians that were there. We were seeing a lot of post-operative um, clients mm-hmm. that just had surgery for something, and you know, a lot of them were athletes and, you know, that was probably like the most kind of like sports oriented kind of experience that I had. Mm -hmm. And then when I got out in my career initially, like you said, a lot of my experience was just working with normal everyday people that had back pain, neck pain, Mm -hmm. shoulder pain. Like it wasn't like I was working with a bunch of athletes. (laughs) Most of the clients actually that were like coming into our office were sent by, you know, like their primary care physician. Mm-hmm. Um, or they were, or maybe it was an ortho that was sending them, but it was like knee replacements and hip yeah. replacements and not like, Hey, this football player just tore his ACL and we're going to rehab him back. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that quite frankly is just those docs send people to the clinic that they're affiliated with at the yeah. end of the day. It's like, you could be an amazing therapist, but if you're not connected to that organization, you're probably not going to see those clients in our office. Now clients come to us because they choose to come to us. We don't get very many people sent to us by physicians' offices. Um, And part of that is because we try to remove ourselves just like you and any other coach or trainer. Like, you're not in the health care, health insurance system, right? Like, we try to remove ourselves from a lot of the hassle and red tape and things that put restrictions on, like, just treating and taking care of the human that's in front of us. Yeah. And... I think people resonate with that, or at least the ones that we want to work with are the ones who are like wanting to take their health seriously, wanting to invest in taking care of themselves. And and those are the people that we treat now. So a lot of that ends up being the kind of this like overuse variety of issues, not like the traumatic stuff, because usually if something traumatic happens, you go to the orthopedic or to the whoever um, for your knee injury or your fractured ankle or whatever that might be Mm -hmm. and then you kind of get run down that process of oh this is where i want you to go to physical therapy or this is your surgery and this is the plan afterwards we see fewer of those people because of that we see more of the people that man my knee hurts i'm trying to run i'm trying to train Mm -hmm. for this race and then we might be the first one that they've seen for it so they may not have seen their physician and that's Mm -hmm. why 
I kind of used the term like being a detective earlier because like yeah. we're trying to help them figure out why. Well, I like yeah. I like that a lot, um, just because personally, you know, especially if you are taking care of yourself, if you are a younger athlete. And by younger, I mean mm-hmm. especially anyone under forty. Uh, you know, you don't need to go to your primary care doctor who's just going to look at you check your ears tap on your knee you know do some general stuff and then just send you to like you said an outpatient you know pt or something like that Uh, i think it's a lot easier more practical and more urgent for people just to go to a you know a practice like physio room so where can people i guess if they are in the denver area connect with you uh, connect with physio room is it physioroom.com yeah, so it's physioroomco.com, okay. C-O for Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, so P-H-Y-S-I-O, room, C-O.com. And that's the same for you know our social media handles and stuff. We're mm-hmm. probably the most active on Instagram and Facebook, yep. but at physioroomco. And then uh, if I'm not mistaken, like my personal page is dr.andrewfix, just yeah, like my name. I was going to say, mention your Instagram and also your podcast, right? Yeah, so... You know, and this was a long time in the making. We, you know, I've had this, uh, you know, kind of desire to sort of start a podcast and try to spread some of this information. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I love to try and educate. Now, that doesn't always mean that I communicate things the best way, right? <laughs> yeah, I can improve try. too. But um, we have a podcast called The Code, A Guide to Health and Human Performance. So I often refer to it just as The Code. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can find that on all the different podcast platforms and stuff. But, like we really started that and wanted to have it have a separate name and identity from physio room because we're getting into some conversations that aren't just about what we do in the office. But the whole goal is to, you know, talk about the pillars of health and wellness, things like sleep, nutrition and movement, stress management, community, and like building relationships and stuff. So I've had the opportunity to have some awesome interviews on there with um, people that are super smart in their field. Mm-hmm. I talk about some little topics, and um, you know, it's it's been really fun to do that. But um, but yeah, as far as physio room goes, I mean, we are mostly local to this like South Denver area. We have mm-hmm. location in Highlands Ranch and in the Denver Tech Center part of town. We also now have a location down in Colorado Springs on the south side of town, and um, we also do work virtually. So, you know, a lot of times, a lot of these issues that we're finding are very movement related and we can work with people very effectively, even if they're not in our office. And then if we think that somebody needs, you know, some hands-on work, some manual work that like we can't provide them and we can't get them to do themselves, we have a pretty expansive network um, because a lot of good providers tend to stick together. So we know people in all parts of the country that we can often refer someone to for that kind of more targeted work if, um, you know, if we're having an issue with them virtually. Yeah, well, I really appreciate our chat today. It was, uh, you know, not that I wasn't expecting it to be informative. I was, but I think it was even more informative than, uh, you know, I thought it was. I thought, uh, you know, we definitely got into, you know, nitty-gritty details. And even the stuff that was fairly IT band specific, I think it applied to everything. So I uh, I appreciate you coming on today. And if anyone has questions or, or needs some rehab issues, definitely reach out to uh dr andrew here and uh definitely stay in touch yeah thanks brock thanks again for having me and like you said if anybody does have questions i would welcome as many you know emails or messages or anything like that i would love to love to see them and see if i can not be a resource for you thanks for having me yeah we'll catch you guys later